Welcome back to the Everything That Came Before Grace podcast. I'm Bill C. It's now October 2009, and it's been six months since Anna and Benjamin shared their feelings. Benjamin goes back to Cassandra for another session. Cassandra pushes him to start dating, but he says he can't because he got a sign. She asks what he means, and he tells her about the old couple he saw sitting on the bench in overcoats and fedoras. She keeps pushing him to try dating, and then he says it's not that bad. He can wait until Sophia goes off to college. Cassandra gets frustrated and pushes him to try and explain what it might feel like to turn to somebody for comfort and affection. And Benjamin shares what it's like every autumn when he feels the pull. On the drive home, Benjamin is listening to Bowie's Speed of Life, and he realizes he keeps seeing couples walking hand in hand looking happy. And he thinks to himself, his car is starting to feel like an isolation chamber, where he looks out and sees the sights and sounds of a world he used to know, a world he keeps falling from. And he thinks to himself, for the first time, maybe this isn't sustainable. Maybe he needs to open that door. So let's listen. It's chapter 18. It's what I do. Chapter 18. It's What I Do. Early October, 2009. I'm in the lobby waiting to see Cassandra. It's the first time I've seen her in almost two months. She was out sick, then I was out sick, then Sophia got sick. It feels like the shelf life of my sanity is expiring. While I wait, I'm creeping on Anna's Facebook staring at pictures of her looking happy and shamelessly building a life with Keith. Selfies of the two of them posed cheek to cheek on a blinding summer's day on the Venice boardwalk, a clip of the two of them on a trip to Rosarita Beach eating fish tacos and laughing as Keith kisses the cilantro sauce dripping down her face. Shot after shot of them mugging for their followers, collecting hundreds of likes from friends we all used to hang out with. It's been six months since Anna and I professed our feelings for each other. I've only seen her twice since. It wasn't so bad at the Dodger game a big group of us went to because me and Sophia sat way down the row from Anna and Keith. But last month, we went to another one of their dinner parties, this time with lots of old friends who all know our history. All night, I nursed my drink, staring at Anna in disbelief, wondering how she can just stand there playing it so cool. And Keith. Fucking Keith. Cracking jokes, acting like nothing ever happened, convinced he's made things right with me. My time with Sophia is all that keeps me sane. Going to the beach, walking the dogs, watching movies together. 
classic Disney films have given way to tweener movies like Big Fat Liar, School of Rock, and Napoleon Dynamite. Those four hours we have from the time I pick her up from school to bedtime is everything. It's after she goes to bed when everything goes black in my head. I can't sleep, even with all the scotch I've been drinking. I lay in bed, replaying all these watershed moments. All those chances I had to turn around but didn't the night I went off with Catherine. All the things I didn't say the last time I saw my mom. The last time Anna came to visit after Catherine's accident, and she stood there waiting for me to beg her to stay, but I was just too damaged to get the words out. Instead of buzzing me in, Cassandra comes out to get me. As she walks me back to her office, I chuckle to myself, realizing I'm singing the first verse to Merle Haggard's Sing Me Back Home about the prisoner going down the hallway to his doom. I take my usual seat, and while Cassandra pulls up my chart, I look out the window. A guy is standing on the corner of Inglewood and Washington, holding up a sign that says, Repent, Judgment Day is coming. I think to myself, how many times can you trot that out before the message loses its urgency? I don't know how long I sit there staring, but Cassandra, unflappable as always, waits me out. I finally turn toward her and give her a look she knows that means I'm ready. So, how old is Sophia now, she asks. She turned 11 last week, I say. Just started middle school, which can be so freaking hard. Little cliques and little bitches making up rules no one understands until it's too late. Okay, but why project the worst, Cassandra asks. Oh, you know me, I say, trying to make light of it. I gotta stick to my strengths. It's what I do. Okay, she says, giving me a half smile. But what's scaring you? Sophia's coming up on that age I was when my mom really started to unravel. Benjamin, we've talked about this, she says. That's your journey, not hers. It's just I see so much of myself in her, how deeply she feels about everything, how she always sees the good in people, then feels so let down when they don't live up to her expectations. How she makes sure everyone is taken care of before she takes care of herself. And all day long, I worry some little bitch is going to do something that will blow her to bits. <laughs> You're projecting your past onto her again, she warns. I know, I know. I just don't want her to get tripped up by the same shit that got me. You know, the self-sabotage, the people-pleasing... The constant need for approval. Again, that's your journey, she says, starting to sound frustrated. It doesn't mean she will. I look down and shake my head a couple times. Well, let's pivot to something else, she says, shifting in her chair. We've been talking a lot about Sophia lately. Let's talk about you and your needs. That makes me squirm in my seat, and I look off at the painting of a ship battling the sea that's probably in half the offices in this building. Have you thought any more about dating, she asks. I did go on a date, I answer. But wasn't that months ago, she says. Yeah, and it was a disaster, I say. So that's it? One date and you're out? Come on, what's the harm in trying again? Everyone needs some affection and companionship. I get plenty from Sophia, I say defensively, when we cuddle up to watch movies together or when
when I chase her along the beach and wrap her up for the biggest hug ever? That's what gets me through. Benjamin, she says, a little flustered. You know what I mean, and you know that's not going to last forever. Sophia's going to be a teenager soon, and just please, I say, putting up my hand. I know. We stare at each other until she gives me a look like, are you going to answer my question? Okay, I say, letting out a long sigh. <sighs> yeah, I, I miss being with someone. Someone who makes me feel safe and wanted and desired. So, yeah. Tell me more, she says, rolling her chair over to face me head on. Mm, like when I'm out driving, I see couples walking hand in hand with that look in their eyes. You know, like they're in rapture and everything they ever dreamed of is still possible. And they stop on a dime and kiss like Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman because they can't stand another moment without their lips touching. You can still have that, she says. It's just, I know how selfish I can get when that feeling starts. I know if I open that door, it sets in motion this whole thing where it starts to be all about me. Bad things happen. But why does it have to be an either-or scenario, she asks. There has to be some kind of middle ground. You can't keep denying yourself. It's not that bad, I say, brushing it aside. It's only seven years until Sophia goes off to college. I can manage. I don't think that's healthy, Benjamin, for you or for Sophia. Our kids need to see us continuing to evolve, pursue passions, be in love. We can't just be these obstinate vessels. I know it's crazy, I say. But I keep thinking, Ann and I are supposed to end up together. I'm scared if I open my heart to someone else, it'll mess everything up. But you can't deny yourself love on the off chance that one day maybe she'll be available, she says. But I know Anna still has feelings for me. She said so. How long ago was this, she asks. Back in March, I say. How has it been since then, she asks. Awkward, I say at least for me. Let me ask you something, she says, pausing. Have you asked yourself what her motives might be? What do you mean, I ask. Well, did she tell you she's packing her bags, that she's ready to take up with you, that she's, all right, all right, I get it, I say, putting up my hand. Well, then frankly, it sounds a little manipulative of her to tell you she still has feelings for you. It's actually what my friend Sarah said, I'd say. Well, what do you think, she asks. You don't know Anna like I do, I say. But do you really know who she is now, she asks. You two were estranged for a decade. All I can tell you is I had a sign, I say. What do you mean, a sign, she asks. A while back, I was in the lobby waiting to see you, and I saw this old couple sitting on that little bench outside, and they were wearing these old fedoras like they were in an old movie. It was like this idyllic scene, this picture of enduring love. I've been trying to write the perfect paragraph about them ever since. She processes that, then remarks, That's lovely. But listen, I say, leaning forward. Years ago, I told Anna, one day, when we're old and finishing each other's sentences, we'll sit on a bench holding hands in our overcoats and fedoras and look back on our scrapbook of madness and laugh about everything. I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I'm convinced it was my vision coming to life. 
a sign we're going to end up together. Cassandra stares at me with a kind of mournful, pitiable look on her face. Well, since she is married, she starts to say, let's just try and deal with what's in the here and now, shall we? I want you to try and tell me what it might feel like to have someone special in your life. Just give it a try. Oh, I don't know, I say, starting to tap the arm of my chair again. I mean, every autumn I I do feel the pull. What do you mean, the pull, she asks. Every year when the first hint of autumn comes, the feeling in the air is different, you know. I feel this force pulling me out of myself. My heart starts to open, just ajar. I start seeing things I don't normally notice, like that old couple I told you about, or seeing the shade of blue at twilight that you can't find in a box of 64 Crayolas, and that feeling when traffic finally clears and you floor it, and the song that comes on the radio sounds so fucking good. And I think to myself, yeah, it would be nice to have someone who makes me feel safe to share what's going on inside, share that sense of wonder that gives birth to passion in two people. If I close my eyes, I can see it out there. Benjamin, I want you to promise me you'll just try and keep the door jarred to the possibility there's someone out there for you that you can't possibly imagine right now. Oh, that poor unsuspecting girl, I crack. On my way to pick up Sophia from school, I'm listening to Bowie's Speed of Life and I start crying, like I always do after a session. As I make my way up Fairfax, I keep seeing couples walking hand in hand, looking in love. My car is starting to feel like an isolation chamber, from which I see the sights and sounds of a world I used to know, a world I keep falling from. Maybe Cassandra is right. Maybe this isn't sustainable. Maybe I need to open that door. After all, autumn is coming.